Krishna. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining today. For the pleasure of Sri Shadamalida, Sri Gaurachandra, Sri Prabhupada, and all the devotees, we have with us our dear mother Urmila Devi. Thank you so much for taking out your time. I can understand how busy this morning must be with such special meetings and plates for you. So still, you made this uh, made time and uh, be with us. So thank you so much for your association. Very grateful to you for your time and association. Hare Krishna. So it's uh, May 26, 2021. This is uh, Bhakti Center in New York over the internet. And we're going to be reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 9, Chapter 6. Text 41 through 46. So we have 41 and 42 here that I'll share with you now. And uh, Prabhu, will you take care? Savitri, uh, well, first, should we chant? We'll chant. No. Sri Guru Vaishnavamsha, Sri Rupam Sagrajatam Sagana Raganatam Vitamstam Sajivam. Sadvoitam Sadradutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitamsha Vanchikapachubascha Kipasandhyevatapatitanam Pavanevyo Vaishnavyavinamamaha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So again, it's Canto 9, Chapter 6, Text 41 through 46. And we'll read 41 and 42, which are up on the screen. Savichinta Priyam Srinam Jaratohamasanmata Vali palita ejatka ityaham prachudarita sadhai shetatmanam sura srinamadipsitam kimpunarmanu jendranam ityavasita prabhu. I'm just going to go and read the translation. Sovereign Muni thought, I am now feeble because of old age. My hair has become gray, my skin is slack, and my head always trembles. Besides, I am a yogi, therefore women do not like me. Since the king has thus rejected me, I shall reform my body in such a way as to be desirable even to celestial women, but to speak of the daughters of worldly kings. So just to put some context, Sobhari Muni had... Uh, been meditating in the Yamuna. Of course, he offended Garuda. Then he became uh, sexually disturbed by seeing fish mating, so much so that he decided to go find a wife. So he came out of the Yamuna, he went to this kingdom where a king had 50 daughters, and he said, I want to marry your daughters. One of your daughters. The king said, my daughters can marry whoever they want, meaning (laughs) you're not qualified. So this is Sobhari Muni understanding when the king said, my daughters can marry whoever they want, that what the king meant was, and they sure aren't going to want you. So Sobhari Muni is thinking about his disqualifications. Now, this is an interesting point because many times we counsel devotees who want to get married. And the majority of the time, 
those devotees are mostly thinking about the qualifications of their desired spouse. So they're thinking, well, I'd like to marry this kind of person and that kind of person, and the person should have this qualities and that qualities, and they very rarely think about their own qualifications or their own lack of qualifications. <laughs> so if one wants to get married, one should not only think of uh, what kind of husband or what kind of wife you want to marry, but also what kind of husband or what kind of wife you are, <laughs> and that you'll be. <laughs> so, you know, what are you, what are you bringing to the relationship? Uh, you know, this is uh, also what some, that somebody should be thinking about. Yes? So, it's uh, just like, you know, people looking for a guru. How can I find a bona fide guru? How can I find... Well, what are you, a bona fide disciple? I mean, that is also... That is also a question. So he decides here, um, he decides here in this, in this verse that he is going to transform his body. He's going, to, he's, make, he's going to make himself look young and handsome. So this is a quality the yogis have. Even many of the demons who perform yoga have this quality, like Sharpanika was able to transform her body and make it look very attractive. Now, we're assuming that Sobri Muni was not going to do that just for a few minutes. <laughs> uh, Hidimba, also with Mima, was able to do that. Uh, shape-shifting. Uh, the demigods, when the demigods had to leave the heavenly planets, when Bali Maharaj was conquering, it says that they changed their bodies into various forms and left the heavenly planets. So nowadays, if you want to change your body, <laughs> you have to go to the surgeon. The surgeon will cup you, cut you up and... Um, you know, maybe you take some drugs, <laughs> but he never, he never quite makes it. Uh, there's a, a famous American silt singer, Dolly Parton. So she's had numerous plastic surgeries, and she wears wigs, and she wears lots of makeup. And <laughs> but when you look at her, you know she's not 20. You know, you know that she's an elderly lady with a lot of plastic surgery and a wig and a lot of makeup. Okay. So let's go into text 43. We'll just read the translation. Thereafter, when Shobri Muni became quite a young and beautiful person, the messenger of the palace took him inside the residential quarters of the princesses, which were extremely opulent. All 50 princesses then accepted him as their husband, although he was only one man. So he was so attractive that uh, even though they were 50 princesses, they decided they would all marry him. They decided he was so attractive that it was worth sharing him. Yes, this is, uh, we find, of course, throughout uh, the Shastra that it's not uncommon for one man to have more than one wife. This is true, of course, also in the Bible and in the Quran. Uh, sometimes one woman had more than one husband. Uh, we, and we have a very interesting relationship with the Pandavas where Draupadi had all five brothers as her husbands. So she had five husbands, and each of those husbands also had other wives. So, for example, you know, Arjuna also had Subhadra, and he also had Chichangada, and uh, Lupi, and then Bhima also was married to Hidimba, and each of the Pandavas had also other wives. So, uh, the, our concept of, of monogamy in marriage, uh, there's also, in the Shastra, there's also other kinds of marriage besides monogamy. And uh, this, was some, this was done so that people could marry the most qualified person. And of course, of course, the person has to be very qualified to do this. 
just to take care of Prabhu says in Kali Yuga, if you can take care of one wife, you're a great hero. So I don't think we're going to find very many people in Kali Yuga who can take care of 50 wives nicely. That's uh, very doubtful. Thereafter, the prince, going on to text 44, thereafter the princesses, being attracted by Sobri Muni, gave up their sisterly relationship and quarreled among themselves, each of them contending, this man is just suitable for me and not for you. In this way, there ensued a great disagreement. So at first, when they saw him, each of them was thinking that just they would be his wife. So each of the 50 women was saying, I want him. And the other, no, I want him. No, I want him. No, I want him. No, I want him. Uh, this is the nature of this world, that even among family members, there's envy. Even among family members, there's malice. <laughs> you know, a devotee recently sent me a book that he's working on about family life, which is interesting because uh, I think he's near 40 and he's, not, he's never married. <laughs> not about raising children, although he's never raised children, so that's interesting. But uh, anyway, he has a chapter about... Uh, he's dealt a lot with, with teenagers in his preaching. But he has a chapter about uh, what family life is supposed to be. And he writes that in family life, you know, everybody is selfless and all they care about is the other person. They're willing to sacrifice their life for the benefit of the other person. And I said, this is utopic. I said, you know, that this is a description of the spiritual world. It's not a description of family life in the Earth Planet and Kali Yuga. And if you if you write this, and people will think, oh, if I chant Hare Krishna, then my family life will be like this, then they'll simply become very disappointed. So it's quite common, even in devotee family life, uh, unless everybody is very exalted, that there's going to be some quarrel. And of course, the way Sobhra and Muni dealt with this quarrel, that each of the 50 women said, I want him as my husband. <laughs> Just think about this for a minute. So when he shows his actual form, his actual old form, none of the women want him. When by yogic power he transforms his form, he actually becomes inauthentic. He, show, he, he shows himself as something that he's not really. So then all 50 of them want him. Isn't this funny? Material illusion. And then they're fighting, you know, he's going to be my husband, he's going to be my husband. And the way Sobre Muni deals with this is, it's okay, I'm going to marry all of you. Now, Sobre Muni, we're going to go on to text 45 to 46, he was very qualified. Uh, so let's read this translation. Because Sobre Muni was expert in chanting mantras perfectly, his severe austerities resulted in an opulent home with garments, ornaments, properly dressed and decorated maidservants and manservants, and varieties of park with clear water lakes and gardens. In the gardens, fragrant with varieties of flowers, birds chirped and bees hummed, surrounded by professional singers. Sobury Muni's home was amply provided with valuable beds, seats, ornaments, and arrangements for bathing, and there were varieties of sandalwood creams, flower garlands, and palatable dishes. Thus, surrounded by opulent paraphernalia, the Muni engaged in family affairs with his numerous wives. So these were princesses, and Sobri Muni, although he was a yogi, he was able to provide all 50 of these princesses with grandiose material opulence. He was even able to provide them with servants, <laughs> maidservants and men servants. And so uh, he was actually qualified to take care uh, not only of one wife, but of 50 wives. And he was able to make sure that they had everything. And he went... You know, he went from being this austere yogi 
meditating underwater to being this very opulent sense enjoyer in the world. And so let's read Srila Prabhupada's purport. Sobri Muni was a great yogi. Yogic perfection makes available eight material opulences. Anima, Lagima, Mahima, Prapti, Prakamya, Ishita, Vashita, and Kamavasita. Sobri Muni exhibited super excellence in material enjoyment by dint of his yogic perfection. The word Bhavrucha means expert in chanting mantras. As material opulence can be achieved by ordinary material means, it can also be achieved by subtle means through mantras. By chanting mantras, Sobri Muni arranged for material opulence, but this was not perfection in life. As will be seen, Sobri Muni became very dissatisfied with material opulence and thus left everything and re-entered the forest in the Vanaprastha order and achieved final success. Those who are not Atmatattvavit, who do not know the spiritual value of life, can be satisfied with external material opulences, but those who are Atmatattvavit are not inspired by material opulence. This is the instruction we can derive from the life and activities of Shobri Muni. All right, so uh, he gets all this opulence, he gets everything he wants, then he's going to be dissatisfied with it, and he's going to go to the forest as a Vanaprastha, uh, by the way, along with his 50 wives, and he and his 50 wives will all go back to home, back to Godhead. So the upside of his entering into household life is that he brought 50 other people with him. <laughs> I did a little, he used his Grahasta life for preaching. I think he had 100 sons by each wife also, so. I'm sure they also, that's a lot of people, <laughs> that's a lot of people, uh, 5,000 uh, children. Uh, so, uh, And they were all, of course, benefited by him be eventually becoming a pure devotee. So he does become a pure devotee, but what we would call plan B. <laughs> Instead of directly going to Krishna consciousness, uh, he has this, this detour where he, he learns his lesson. Uh, so... Thinking about Sobri Muni using his yogic powers to become beautiful, so beautiful that 50, so qualified and beautiful that 50 princesses were fighting over him, and then using his yogic power to create this incredible heavenly opulence. So it reminds me of, and yet being dissatisfied, yet being dissatisfied. Of course, in this verse, in the verses today, we don't read about his dissatisfaction. Uh, but she, we will be in the following verses, but because Srila Prabhupada writes about his dissatisfaction in the purport, we'll also be considering that today. So this story reminds me of a story that Srila Prabhupada tells of a brahmana who was traveling and who was very hungry. And traditionally, the caste brahmanas would only eat food cooked by initiated people. And just like we Hare Krishna devotees, we're supposed to only eat food cooked by devotees. Right? And someone who's cooking, offering it properly to Krishna, that we don't eat food from outside cooked by non-devotees. That was on the list that Prabhupada gave in 1966 to the devotees. Should not eat food cooked by non-devotees. I mean, there may be. Prabhupada says sometimes when we are traveling and preaching, he's speaking about himself, we may eat food in a hotel. So there may be some extenuating circumstances, but generally... We eat food cooked by devotees, so brahmanas would generally eat food cooked by initiated higher class people. But this brahmana was traveling and he was very hungry. And so he saw the, the home of an outcast. <laughs> and he was so hungry, he went to beg, beg there, please give me some food, give me some food. And the outcast said, I'm very poor, I don't have much. And the brahmana says, I don't care, I'm just so hungry. 
And so the outcast gave him some food, but it was very little food. And so after eating, the Brahmana says, I've lost my caste, but my belly is not even full. I've lost my caste, but my belly is not even full. So this is a story to illustrate that we give up our principles, we give up our higher knowledge, and still we're not satisfied. So we're giving up our higher knowledge thinking, well, when I give this up, then I'll be satisfied. But when we actually give it up, we're not satisfied. So this was the case with Shobari Muni. So here he's using his yogic powers for the wrong purpose. He's using his yogic powers for the wrong purpose. So perhaps somebody here in this class also has great yogic powers. I have met some uh, yogis in my life who have great powers. Srila Prabhupada talks about how when he was a boy that his father always had at least four guests in the house. And at least one time there was a yogi who had this prapti city. He could reach out his hand and even though it wasn't mango season, uh, all of a sudden there was a mango in his hand. (laughs) Prabhupada said he saw this in his father's home. Uh, So maybe some of you are also yogis. But even though uh, you may not be yogis, everyone has some extraordinary talent, Prabhupada says. So all of us have some kind of opulence, some kind of ability, and we can choose, am I going to use this for Krishna or not? And what happens when we choose to use it separately from Krishna? How does Krishna respond to the devotee who uses their extraordinary talent in uh, illusion. So Prabhupada says everyone has some extraordinary talent. He says everyone has some extraordinary talent. Nice, very nice letter. You know, that doesn't mean that everyone's gifts are rare. Some of us have gifts that are very rare. You know, some people can uh, do extraordinary athletics. They get, you know, an Olympic gold or silver medal. And most of us don't have that kind of talent. Or, you know, there's great scientists like Einstein, you know, geniuses, 160, 180 IQ, who can understand mathematics and science. So most of us don't have that kind of talent. So there are some people who have rare talents. There are certain talents that are distributed only to a very small percentage of people. And there are, then there are more common talents. There are talents that many people have. But still, every talent is extraordinary. One shouldn't think that just because I don't have some rare talent, that just because the kind of talents that I have, many other people have, doesn't mean that it's not extraordinary. Uh, even though maybe I can cook and many people can cook, Uh, Still, my ability to cook nicely is an extraordinary talent. And, you know, I know one devotee whose extraordinary talent is spreading happiness wherever she goes. And she she walks into a room and she literally lights up the room. And everyone around her feels happy just in her presence. So that may be one's extraordinary talent. One may have an extraordinary talent to be empathic, that other people here feel heard and they feel cared for. There are people like that, you know, that as soon as they're around, you just feel cared for or you feel sheltered. People may have a talent like that. You know, 
People may have a talent of being expert at cleaning things. So whatever they clean is, is, is shiny and beautiful. It looks like it's new. Each of us has some talent. Each of us has something extraordinary. And where did we get this from? Well, we might have gotten it from previous good karma. So, Sobering Muni, he has his abilities from yogic austerities, which is a kind of hard work. And it probably talks about gross and subtle in the purport. So there's, there's gross hard work. You know, I can earn my, ta- my extraordinary talents through gross hard work. I mean, even then, there's some predisposition of karma in there. I mean, I'll tell you, no matter how hard I worked, I'm never going to become an Olympic gymnast. You know, that, that's not going to happen. Even when I was young, you know, I was young and in school, so we did sports and gymnastics in school. But I, I don't have the, the karma for it. I don't have the genetics for it. So even if I worked eight hours a day, I still would not be able to compete in the Olympics. So, you know, it's some combination of karma and hard work. And hard work may be physical hard work, you know, exercising every day or whatever. And it may be mental hard work. Some kind of austerity is involved. I mean, here, Sobre Muni did a subtle austerity. But, you know, subtle or gross, some kind of austerity is involved, along with some karma. If, if, and they, they tend to go together. So let's say I have the karma that I have, you know, like I have a friend who has a, an IQ of 189, and that may be your karma, but then you also have to work hard to do something with it. Right? There's a, a story I read years ago about this, this man who had very, very high IQ. He was a brilliant genius, but due to various circumstances, he didn't develop it, and so he's just working as a farmer instead of a scientist, although he does publish scientific articles, but he has no degree and, and so forth. So there's some combination of our karma, which means pious activities from previous lives and in this life, and our hard work. And then there's also Krishna's mercy. There's also Krishna's mercy. That's true when it comes to bhakti, and it's also true when it comes to material things. That no matter what good karma you have and how much you work, I mean, I know Krishna tells Nanda, tells Nanda Marsh, it's all about your karma, and it's all about your work. It's all about your pious activities. It's all about your work. The demigods have nothing to do with it. But that's not actually true, what Krishna's saying. Sorry, Krishna. You know, the demigods do have something to do with it. Krishna does have something to do with it. Just like if you're going to get an academic degree. So you may be very intelligent. You may do all the work. But it's up to the university to grant you the degree or not. You know, they, they don't have to grant you the degree. It, it's up to them. They can look at you. I mean, I, I had a, a devotee friend who spent seven years on her doctoral dissertation, and then the chair of her committee had a stroke. And so another professor took over, and that professor didn't like her dissertation. He just didn't like it. He said, I, I'm sorry, I don't like it. And she said, well, my other chair approved it. And he said, I don't care. And there's a, there's, you time out after a while. Like for a PhD, you get a certain number of years that you're allowed to have to finish it, and after that time, you're just out. So she didn't have time to write another one. She, she had timed out, and so she never got her PhD. So the point is that there's, there's also the mercy, the approval, the stamp of approval from the Lord or, uh, or the Lord's agents.
So that's where we get our extraordinary talents from, and it's very important to understand where we get our talents from. Because Srila Prabhupada writes in the 16th chapter of Bhagavad Gita that the demons think that they get their talents simply by their hard work in this lifetime. They don't understand they're also getting their talents and abilities by karma. And what does karma mean? It means I'm following the laws of the universe. I've done pious activities. If you think about it, what that means is I have proven to the directors of the universe that I'm going to use, and this is very important for today's verse, that I'm going to use these talents for good. Good karma means pious activities. It means I'm showing I'm a good person. I'm a reliable person. I'm a trustworthy person. And I'm going to use these talents for good. Just hard work in and of itself isn't enough, whether subtle or gross hard work. We all know people who work very hard and get nothing and people who don't work very hard and get everything. You know, we, we all know of cases like this. So it's also how pious one is. And this relates to also the mercy of the demigods or God that the mercy of the demigods are God. They, have, they say, okay, you know, I'm, uh, I'm satisfied with this person. I'll allow them to get the results of their work. So it's very important to understand where we get our talents from. That it's not just our earning them by our hard work, and it's not even just our earning them by our piety. It's a relationship with God and with the demigods. All right, so now we have Sobhari Muni who uses his talents separately from Krishna. He's using his talents to his abilities to try to enjoy the world in, as a materialist. He's trying to become a grand materialist. So what's the results of this? What's the results of taking our God-given talents, our, our gifts from God, and using them for materialism, using them in a way that displeases him. What does materialism mean? It means that it's something that displeases him. As Krishna defines maya, whatever appears to be of value, if it is without relation to me, has no reality, know it to be my illusory energy, that reflection which appears to be in darkness. So using our talents materialistically means using them without relationship with Krishna. And, you know, it's, it's just like somebody somebody's proved themselves to you that they're trustworthy, they've worked hard, you've given them something, and then they go and use it in a way opposed to the way you would like. So imagine you're running a project, you're running a business, and somebody, you know, they're responsible, they're trustworthy, they're kind, and they work really, really hard, so you give them some position with a big salary, and you give them power over others, and then they go and use it for themselves. I mean, this kind of thing happens, of course, all the time. It happens in government, it happens in business, it happens in family. It happens all the time. That some subordinate shows that they're trustworthy, they work hard, they're given facility, and then they go use it for themselves. They use it in a way that's against the family, they use it in a way that's against the business, they use it in a way that's against the government. It happens all the time. So... What are the results of this? Well, one result is falsity. This whole thing Shobari Muni's built up is on falsity. He actually was an old, ugly guy. And he actually was an old, ugly yogi. That's who he really, that's who he was. You know, so he just, it was a pretense that he's something else. So the whole, the whole relationship is based on falsity. It's not authentic. 
And it, it, it's so false also that he's the same person, and when he was old and yogi-ish, then the women were like, no, we don't want you. And then when he looks young and royal, they're like, oh, I want him, no, I want him, no, I want him, no, I want him. So they're all false too. They weren't interested in him. They were interested in appearances. They were interested in what he could do for them. So the whole thing was false. It was all false. And then quarrel. Another result is quarrel. We see these, these women, they're sisters. We assume that they got along. And then they started to quarrel. It was envy. Yeah. And lamentation. Sobarimuni is lamenting. Because when we try to enjoy opulence separately from Krishna, it's not satisfying because it's not real. And I make this point all the time. You know, that chemical food is not satisfying because it's not real. You know, it was a program the other day where they gave us mango juice and it was obviously fake mango juice. It was just mango flavored juice. And it was it was not satisfying. You know, when you when you had a real mango <laughs> and you had real mango juice, then fake mango juice is like, ugh, why do I want to eat this? You know, fake strawberry flavor. It's it's not satisfying. False relationships, false things, they don't satisfy the self. You know, we, we may become absorbed in them for a moment, but like one devotee said to me, you know, I, I watch TV because I'm lonely, he said, but after watching TV I feel even more lonely. <laughs> so this is the problem, because it's false. One is thinking, oh, these, these people on the TV, they're my friends. But they're not your friends, they don't even know you, they don't care about you. And they're just actors. They're not really even the people they pretend to be. It's all false. So this is the problem. So one ends up lamenting. And it's very common that very opulent people will say, you know, wow, I got, I got the money, I got all the women. I mean, nowadays they don't take care of them and marry them. They just have uh, sex with them. But, you know, I, I have all the money, I have all the women, I have all the praise, and I'm still not happy. I'm still not happy. I remember reading something from one famous rock musician. Got to be like 25 and he was rich and famous and, you know, had relations with so many women. And he said, you know, was this all there is? It was dissatisfying. He ended up uh, becoming a drug addict because he was so dissatisfied, even though he had all this opulence. So that's the problem. The problem is this regret. Most people, when they die, are full of various regrets. Oh, why did I do this? Why didn't I do that? I didn't use my life nicely. And one gets another result is one gets separated from real opulence. You know, when we try to use Krishna's the talents that we have, the abilities that we have, the powers that we have, in a way that displeases Krishna, then we don't enjoy the real relationship. If I go in your home and steal from you, then you're not going to want a relationship with me. I lose it. So how does Krishna respond? Because Sabri Muni is a devotee. And how does Krishna respond when a devotee does this? When a devotee takes 
the opulences and talents and gifts that Krishna has awarded them, even if we can say that, that they also have worked hard for them, uh, and uses them in a way that displeases him, uses them in a way that's illusory and that's false. Well, one way Krishna deals with this, of course, as Krishna explains to Maharaj Yudhisthira, is he may, he may forcibly take those opulences away. So Krishna sometimes forcibly takes away opulences that are being misused. And everybody can understand this. Uh, children, uh, parents do this with their children. And it's quite common. So, you know, if, you're, if you give your child a toy and then your child is hitting their brother or sister over the head with the toy, you may just simply take the toy away. I mean, that's... The government does this. You know, if, if, you, if you have a government job and then you use it for putting money in your own pocket, then you may lose your government job. You know, in a business, it's the same way. You'll be fired. In a family, you may be ostracized. So, you know, Krishna also does this, and he may just take that, that opulence away. Okay, you're not using it properly. And then the person may come to their senses and go, wow, <laughs> what did I do? What did I do? How, how should I behave instead? Now, another thing that Krishna can do, and what's happening here with Sobri Muni, is Krishna can give internal realization. And this happens also in the Bhagavatam with Pingala, where Krishna gives internal realization and detachment that, oh, this wasn't the right thing to do. And that can happen in many ways. I mean, with Ajamila, it happened very dramatically by him almost dying, and he hears the conversation between the Vishnu Dudas and the Yama Dudas. Uh, with Pingal, it happened because no customers showed up that night. I mean, it may, and exactly why Sobri Muni reaches this conclusion, there doesn't seem to be an external impetus. Right? It happened with Anga when his son Vena was, was a uh, psychopath. But it may be something external that brings on this internal realization that, oh, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing with my talents and my gifts. What am I... Or it may just come from within entirely. It may not be sparked by anything in the world, or it may be. You know, and I think that, I mean, for myself, I have experienced this. I have experienced an internal realization that I was misusing a gift, that I was misusing a talent, that I was misusing facility that I was using talents and facility for my own ego rather than for Krishna's service. I've had several times uh, since joining the Hare Krishna movement that Krishna has revealed to me, uh, you're not using this properly. I've given you a gift, I've given you facility, I've given you talents, and you're using them for your own ego. And then you go, ooh, wow. Again, how that comes uh, in different ways. So, uh, and then when one has that realization then one can either voluntarily give up those opulences completely. So, in other words, Krishna could forcibly take them away or Krishna could give you the impetus so that you give them up or you could find a way to use those talents rightfully in Krishna's service. And there's a very nice place where Srila Prabhupada explains that although Krishna's kindness can be seen in taking away opulences, his greater kindness can be seen when Krishna gives opulences and we know how to use them. It's very interesting, of course, yesterday was the appearance day of Nasingadev, 
And Nisingadev asks Prahlad, what benediction do you want? And of course Prahlad uh, says, I don't want any benediction. And then finally Prahlad says, okay, if you need to give me a benediction, please make sure there's no material desires in my heart and liberate my father. Then Lord Nisingadev says to him, I order you, very interesting, I order you to enjoy the opulences of the demons. I want you to become king of the demons and enjoy their opulences. Why? Because if you prolong Maharaj as king of the demons, he's going to help engaging all these demons in bhakti. He's going to transform the demons. So, best thing, of course, is if we, first of all, recognize what talents and gifts we have. Prabhupada says everyone has some extraordinary talent. We all have some talent. Whether it's a common talent or a rare talent, we still all have some talent, probably many. And then to do our best to use that talent to please Krishna. Better to use it that way from the beginning, rather than to lament like Sobrimu. So better to just say, okay, what abilities do I have? How can I use this in Krishna service? How can I use this in Krishna service? How can I use this so that Krishna will be pleased and ultimately I'll be pleased? Now, as we said, Sobhari Muni does eventually use the, the love that his wives have for him in order to uh, go back to Godhead himself and bring all of his wives back to Godhead. So that was nice. I'm not sure if... Uh, what about all the 5,000 children and uh, probably the 50,000 grandchildren? Uh, but we know that a devotee also liberates many generations. But he does also give up a lot of this opulence and that he goes to the forest and again lives in a very austere way. Uh, he sees that. So sometimes we may say, oh, you know, I'm not able to have this opulence without becoming distracted, so better I don't have it. Or we may see, how can I use this in Krishna's service? So this is our main lesson from here. Of course, there's other lessons with Sobhari Muni about Aparad, but uh, we're not going to touch on that today. But the, the main lesson from these verses today is, what power do I have? All of us have some power. And how am I using it? Am I using it to bring happiness to Krishna? Am I using it to fill myself in Krishna's service with genuine joy and satisfaction? Or am I using it in a way that displeases Krishna and therefore brings me and others only lamentation. So I have to end right now. I cannot take any questions. I have an, another meeting in four minutes. Thank you very much. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai.